Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Now, remember what Jesus said about those of us who are disciples. Matthew 5.13, he said, you are the salt of the earth. We're the salt. We are the preservative in this world. The reason God has left us here is to prevent the premature decay of our world. To make people thirst after God. We are the salt of the world. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. When Jesus first asked men like Thomas and Peter to become his disciples, he didn't give them time to choose. It was either follow me or get left behind. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress says that Jesus is extending that same invitation to you right now, and it's time to respond. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. June 21st promises more daylight than any other day in the year, because today is the very first day of summer, and I'm glad you've chosen to join us today. Speaking of sunshine, I'll remind you that I've written a fun and uplifting children's book for your family. It features 10 of Jesus' favorite stories, or what we call parables. And this book is colorfully illustrated and written in a style that's designed to enlighten your kids with the truth of God's Word. By reading this book together, your kids will learn to embrace 10 abiding lessons from Jesus in a manner that's fun and engaging. My book is called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids, and it's yours when you give a generous gift toward the matching challenge. Even amidst the turmoil in our country, with inflation rates soaring and the unfair controversy swirling around our Supreme Court, we are pressing forward to bring hope and light to the country we love. The only thing holding us back from reaching even more people with hope and truth are the resources to do so. Now, that's where this Gospel Advance Matching Challenge comes in. Several families have banded together to provide up to $500,000 in order to motivate people just like you to give generously as well. As a result, your generous gift today will have twice the impact. Plus, when you give to the Matching Challenge before July 4th, we'll say thank you by sending my brand new children's book, Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. We'll give all our contact information at the close of my message. But right now, let's turn our attention to Luke chapter 14, where we find another favorite story from Jesus. This presentation, as you may notice, was originally delivered during an election season. I titled my message, Becoming Salty Saints. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason you and I exist, the reason we have been left here instead of being raptured when we were saved, the reason First Baptist Church Dallas exists in the heart of this city is for one reason. We have been left here to make disciples. What is a disciple? First of all, a disciple is someone who's made that foundational decision to receive Christ as a Savior. But that's not all. Secondly, a disciple has a growing relationship with Christ. That is, he knows God better today than he did a year ago. It means he is more obedient in his life to God today than he's a year ago. His relationship with God is not static. It's dynamic. 
Number three, a disciple obeys Christ in every area of his life. A disciple doesn't pick and choose those parts of Jesus' command that he's going to obey. I think I'll do that, but no, that's too hard. It doesn't work that way. Number four, a disciple makes new disciples. If you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to take seriously these final orders from Jesus to go into all the world and make disciples. Whatever your secular vocation is, whatever your responsibilities are, you're going to understand the one reason God left you here was to attract people to Jesus Christ and help them follow him. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is committed to making new disciples. Now that we know what a disciple is, let's look at the requirements for being a disciple. That's really what the passage is about. Look at Luke chapter 14, look beginning with verse 26. Two requirements for being a disciple, Jesus says. If you're going to follow me, first of all, that demands an unconditional allegiance. An unconditional allegiance. Look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? Now, again, this doesn't seem right. I mean, Jesus, weren't you the one who said we need to honor our father and mother? Doesn't your word says we're supposed to love our children? Why is it you would call on us to hate our family? The word here, hate, doesn't carry the idea of emotional ill will. He said if it ever comes down to serving your family or serving God, a true disciple will always choose God over family. It's not that you're not to care about your family and love your family, but if it ever comes down to whom you're going to serve, it's always God. Not only that, but second, to be a disciple demands a willingness to die. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. A willingness to die. In Jesus' day, the cross meant one thing. If you saw someone going through the streets of Jerusalem carrying the cross, you knew that person was on his way to his own death. The cross meant execution. And that's how Jesus is using the term here. To be a disciple means a willingness to die. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What kind of death is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about physical death? Are you saying Jesus, is Jesus saying to be a disciple, you have to be willing to give up your life? Would God ever require that of me? Maybe. Did you know that around the world, there were more martyrs for Christianity in the 20th century than there were in the first century? Did you know that? We're not suffering the intense persecution that other Christians are suffering right now. But I think that's only temporary. I think there is a time coming when we too will be have, to, have to be willing to give up our life for the cause of Christ. I think he's talking about physical life, but I think he's talking about more than that. 
Those of you who know the original language knows that this term, carry his own cross, carries with it a continuous action. Whoever does not keep on carrying his own cross. You can only give up your physical life once. But Jesus means whoever is not willing to keep on dying. What does it mean to keep on dying? I think he's talking about a willingness to die to your own desires every day. Willing to give up your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations. To become a disciple, you have to be willing to kill those things, to give them up for the cause of Christ. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Before you sign on to this thing called Christianity, Jesus says, you better calculate the cost. See if you're really willing to pay the cost. To sign on and not follow through on that commitment is to embarrass yourself, but also the kingdom of God. And to illustrate that truth, beginning in verse 28, Jesus gives us two parables. Two parables that illustrate the cost of discipleship. Notice in verse 28, first of all, there is this parable about the builder. Now, up to this point in our study on the parables, parables have been used to, used to teach an important truth. Here, Jesus uses them to illustrate a truth. The truth he's illustrating is about calculating the cost of following Christ. Look at verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now, the tower Jesus is talking about is a a tower a farmer might build in his vineyard. And the purpose of the tower would be to protect uh, the crops against any animals or other human beings that might try to destroy it. And the idea here is, here's a farmer who begins to build a tower. He lays the foundation, but he hasn't properly calculated the cost. So all that is left there is a foundation and no tower. The result is embarrassment for the farmer. People ridicule him. Oh, you didn't plan very well, did you? But not only that, the job is left undone. The vineyard is not protected. Those of you who are around here in the late 60s, early 70s, remember when they started building the Fairmont Hotel across the street? Remember how they built those two uh, steel tower structures, but then apparently the developer ran out of money. And those two towers stood there and stood there and stood there. They were an eyesore, or somebody said a sore eye on the city of Dallas, you know. People would look at those and think, what happened? What was wrong with those people that they would start something they couldn't finish? Well, that's what Jesus is talking about here. It is a great embarrassment to the Christian and to the cause of Christ when we say, yes, we're going to follow God, but then we don't follow through on that commitment. John Stott, the great New Testament scholar, writes this about not calculating the true cost of following Christ. He says, the Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict, half-built towers, the ruin of those who begin to build but were unable to finish. 
For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christianity today, so-called nominal Christianity. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to be somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. Jesus uses a second illustration in verse 31 of not calculating the cost of discipleship. This one is an illustration of a warrior. Look at verse 31. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. If you're going in to battle with somebody who has twice as many forces as you do, Jesus said, you better determine whether or not you have the ability and the willingness to win the war. Otherwise, it's better to go ahead and negotiate for peace at the beginning. And what Jesus is alluding to here is the great conflict you're going to experience if you become a follower of Christ. It's not going to be all health and wealth and peace and prosperity that the TV charlatans promise you today on religious television. It's not going to be that way. If you're going to live as a disciple of Christ, it's going to cost you something. You better be prepared for it. You better be prepared for the spiritual attack you're going to come under and know that you're going to stay with it until the very end, or it's better not even to enter into the battle to begin with. Then Jesus, beginning in verse 33 talks about the demonstration of discipleship. So, therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. By possessions, he's not just talking about money. He's talking about anything important to us. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, it means giving up everything important to you. By the way, notice Jesus doesn't say, to be my disciple, you have to give away your husband, your wife, your bank account, your job, or even your dreams. You don't necessarily have to give them away, but you do have to give them up. That means to say, God, you're in control. These things belong to you, and you're free to do with them whatever you choose. Corey Tim Boom once said, I have learned to hold those things dearest to me loosely in my hands. That way it doesn't hurt quite as much when God pries them from my fingers. That's what he's talking about here. To be a disciple, you have to hold your life loosely, the things in your life loosely, realizing they all belong to God. I read a story this week about a Christian businessman. He had spent decades building his business, sometimes to the neglect of his family, even his relationship with God. 
He came to the point in his life when he realized thoughts about his business were consuming him. It's all he thought about, morning, noon, and night, how to increase the business, how to take care of employee problems. He realized it was strangling out his love for Christ. So one afternoon, he knelt down beside his desk in his office, and he said, God, I am giving this business to you. It's yours to do whatever you choose to do with it. That night he went home, went to bed. The first time he had been able to go to sleep easily in months. In the middle of the night, he was awakened by the shrill ring of the telephone. The person on the other end of the line told him that his business was on fire and he better come immediately. He dressed. He went down saw everything he had spent his life building engulfed in flames. The person standing next to him said, how in the world can you be so calm in this situation? He said, yesterday I knelt down and gave my business to God. It belongs to him. And if he wants to burn it up, that's his business. See, that's the peace that comes from realizing that it all belongs to God anyway giving it all up to God. That's the demand of discipleship. Jesus concludes his teaching with these words in verse 34. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless. You read this and think, now wait a minute, Jesus. You've been talking about discipleship. Why now are we talking about salt? We have to understand what salt was to Jesus' audience. Today, uh, we use salt, you know, to flavor our steak and to harden our arteries. That's what we think about uh, the purpose of salt is. In Jesus' day, it had a much deeper and much more basic reason for existing. Salt was used as a preservative. In the days before refrigeration, the only way to preserve food was with salt. It was an invaluable commodity. Now, Remember what Jesus said about those of us who are disciples? Matthew 5, 13, he said, you are the salt of the earth. We're the salt. We're the preservative in this world. The reason God has left us here is to prevent the premature decay of our world, to make people thirst after God. We are the salt of the world. Now, here's something important to understand about salt in Jesus' day. It was very, very expensive. Um, It was so expensive that most people couldn't afford to buy pure salt. In fact, Roman soldiers would actually receive their wages in salt. We use our word salary. We talk about somebody's salary. First three letters, S-A-L, the word for salt. Uh, It was a valuable commodity. People would receive their wages in salary. Most people couldn't afford to buy pure salt, so they would buy a mixture of salt, usually of salt and sand. Now, salt, sodium chloride, is a stable compound. It's impossible, technically, for salt to lose its saltiness. But what happened was, whenever people would water down the salt, so to speak, they would mix it with salt and sand, there would be a point at which there was so much sand in the mixture that the salt lost its effectiveness. It was worthless. It couldn't do its job. Now, listen to what Jesus is saying here. If you become a Christian, you're not going to lose your salvation. You can't lose that. But if you are a Christian who says, I'm going to follow God, but then you dilute that commitment to God with a commitment to other things in life. 
You temper, you balance your commitment with God with a desire for money, success, pleasure, all of these other things. There comes a point in which you so dilute your commitment to Christ that you are useless to God. And God casts you aside. Look at the last phrase of verse 35. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is Jesus' way of saying, listen to this very, very carefully. If you're going to be my disciple, before you sign on, you better calculate the cost of doing so. To be my disciple means an unconditional allegiance to me above anyone and anything else. It means a willingness to give up everything important to you. Giving it up to God to do whatever he chooses to do. And only when you are willing to make that kind of commitment to God will you be of any use to God. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Many of you here today have already made that commitment years ago, perhaps decades ago. But maybe there is something in your life you're holding on to that is keeping you from being totally committed to following Christ. That something may be a relationship, maybe a possession, maybe a dream that you have. Are you willing to come today and say, God, I'm giving it all up to you. I'm going to follow you regardless of the cost. But here's the good news. The reward is well worth it. Jim Elliott, the missionary, said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Today, if you're ready to give up everything for the cause of Christ, to receive his blessing and favor upon your life, I invite you to come. Father, how we thank you for your love for us and that while we were sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. Father, I sense this morning you're speaking to some who are ready to follow you regardless of the cost, who are ready to let go of that one thing in their life that is holding them back. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us the power and the courage to stand up, to stand up coming this morning, responding to your invitation. For it's in the saving name of Christ we pray. Amen. There's much more I need to say about this powerful story Jesus told, recorded in Luke 14. On tomorrow's edition of Pathway to Victory, I'll describe the cost of discipleship and what it looks like to become a salty saint. So please keep listening. Now, earlier I mentioned the Gospel Advance Matching Challenge. Because of this challenge, every dollar you give to Pathway to Victory before July 4th will be automatically matched and therefore doubled in size and impact. For example, your gift of $50 becomes $100. A gift of $1,000 becomes $2,000. The goal is $500,000 so that we can reach even more people with the hope and truth of the gospel. Even in a season of political unrest, when inflation rates are on the rise, we're proclaiming the hope and truth that brings Americans together beneath the banner of the gospel. In fact, because of your loyal support this last year, Pathway to Victory has experienced a trajectory of growing influence for the gospel all around the world. I'm reminded of a note I received from Mitchell who said, 
Dr. Jeffress, I listen to your program in Ohio. I can assure you that Pathway to Victory has restored my faith in Christ and brought my understanding of Scripture to a whole new level. Well, thank you so much, Mitchell, for that generous note. And thank you for giving generously so that Mitchell and countless others have access to the bold and practical Bible teaching of God's Word. Your special gift helps us broadcast this program from east to west, from north to south. Thousands of listeners and viewers around the world are starving for spiritual nourishment. And because of the matching challenge, we're postured to make even greater impact for God's glory. Thank you for getting in touch with us today. David. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift towards our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, we'll say thanks by sending you Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. It's the brand new illustrated children's book by Dr. Jeffress. And if you'd like to request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, we'll send you the complete unedited CD and DVD sets from our current series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. It's perfect for your small group Bible study or Sunday school class. And don't forget, because of our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, your gift right now to Pathway to Victory will be matched and therefore doubled in impact. So be sure to get in touch right away. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You can also send your donation by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress concludes this message called Becoming Salty Saints. That's Wednesday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.